RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. And now you can text us, and that's not hard. I'll tell you what you have to do. All right, you ready? Here come the here come the deets, as they say. All you have to do is text RCR with your message to 4040. Text RCR with your message to 4040. From his website, Dr. Peter A. McCullough, MD, MPH, Master of Public Health, brings truth to the world and fights battles against censorship and reprisal. He's an internist, cardiologist, epidemiologist, and the chief scientific officer of the Wellness Company. Since the outset of the pandemic, Dr. McCullough has dozens of peer-reviewed publications on the infection and has commented extensively on the medical response to the COVID-19 crisis. And so that goes on. And from Wikipedia, the obligatory McCullough has promoted misinformation about COVID-19, its treatments and mRNA vaccines. Dr. Peter McCullough joins us on Reality Check Radio from the United States. Dr. McCullough, welcome to our program. Well, thanks for having me. I I, I, I knew you were going to throw in Wikipedia. Boy, I tell you what, that's a frustration for any public figure. You know, I can't edit my Wikipedia. I can't correct it. It's done by anonymous writers uh, who in many times have an agenda that's nefarious. Unfortunately, Wikipedia is uh, wide open defamation. But thank you so much for having me on the program. Yeah, I was going to ask you how you, you think the Wikipedia editors actually came to that conclusion what do they just make it up? They're probably influenced. They probably have sponsors that can come to them and say, listen, uh, you, you know, why don't you try to shape uh, shape people's views of public figures? Uh, just like we've learned that uh, various government operatives, the FBI, CDC, were in Twitter, content modulating Twitter to advance a false narrative. In the COVID Community Core program in the United States in 2021, $13 billion flowed out to media to influence people's thoughts regarding the vaccines, relentlessly promoting them, and then suppressing any information on early treatment, natural immunity, or vaccine safety. Hmm. People here in New Zealand have been lining up for the Pfizer bivalent shot. That began rollout at the beginning of the week just gone. We had our Prime Minister, Minister of Health, taking the shots on TV news. I had Asim Malhotra from the UK on this program about a few days before that saying, don't do it. Message to New Zealand, don't do it. But they did line up and they did do it. I wonder in April 2023, after all this time, how much of the public do you think is still buying this? Is there increasing hesitancy? And what about vaccine regret? It's true. In the United States, there's tremendous vaccine hesitancy. The rate of anybody taking a bivalent booster is only 16%. And sadly, probably those are taking it against their will. The rate of nursing home workers. Now, that was the only employment group where the vaccines could have made a difference uh, if they theoretically worked. The rate of nursing home workers taking the vaccine, 10%. Now, uh, the bivalent boosters are coded against BA4, BA5, Omicron subvariants. Those subvariants now are effectively extinct. So it's too late to roll them out in New Zealand. The current predominant strain in the United States is XBB 1.5, and it's probably the same in New Zealand. So the vaccines are a total waste of time. They have no theoretical benefit and only the opportunity for more safety hazards, including cardiovascular, neurologic, uh, blood clots and uh, immunologic injury, and the rates of death with vaccine continue to to mount. 
So why would you do it? <laughs> you know, again, no one in their right mind would do it. I think the only people doing it are those forced to do it through employment or school, uh, other government mandates. I don't think anybody is taking these, uh, you know, out of their own volition. And those who take the vaccine now are just bracing themselves to see if they're going to suffer heart damage or a blood clot or some complication. It's really just a terrible experience, I think, for most. I want to get on shortly to are there therapeutics or mitigation medicines that can be taken to offset the harmful effects of spike proteins? First, though, the whole thing about science, follow the science. Anthony Fauci said he was the science, if I remember rightly. Um, what are some of, I've heard you quoting many studies, um, many data sets over this time, um, you know, basically proving something is up here. Can you share a few of those with us that really make an impact? Sure. You, you know, I, I've given more media appearances in terms of TV shows, uh, you know, live programs, radio clips, uh, test Senate testimony, um, both House and State Senate testimony, than any public figure. So if you take Anthony Fauci, Rochelle Lewinsky, Ashish Jha, Robert Califf, uh, Murthy, Surgeon General, Biden, Harris, Trump, Pence, put them all together. I've given more. I've actually given more analyses and more inferences. And you can't find a highlight reel where I'm wrong on a topic or where I flip-flop back and forth on a topic. The reason why I've prevailed is because I consistently cite the literature. Remember, in medicine, there's no such thing as information or misinformation. It doesn't exist. There's simply scientific data and two or more interpretive views. We can't interpret the data unless we can cite the data. And if you notice, uh, those who are pushing the false narrative, they never cite information. Never. They simply are, are out there pushing a narrative. The, the, the most common narrative is safe and effective. They say the vaccines are safe and effective. Well, that actually has to be proven. They have to cite the data if they think it's safe and effective. What, are, the, what are some of the slam dunk um, pieces of data, information that, that really, you know, for someone who's listening now, sort of uncertain would, if they looked into it, would, would, would convince them? Right. I think the slam dunk information is heart damage. So the FDA came out in June of 2021 and says the vaccines cause heart damage. The FDA said this. Okay. Uh, since that time, we over 200 peer-reviewed publications on myocarditis or heart inflammation caused by the vaccines. Fatal cases reported in the Wingham Journal of Medicine by Verma from Washington University in St. Louis, Choi from Korea, uh, Gill from Connecticut, Patone from the UK, proven fatal cases at autopsy. Okay, there's no, there's no question the patients died. Proven fatal cases. Um, the, the, the FDA has published a, a paper by Wu and colleagues on blood clots, thousands of blood clots, describing blood clots that go from the ankle to the hip in their reports to the FDA. 11% are fatal, are fatal. I mean, these are the slam dunk papers. Uh, the World Council for Health Pharmacovigilance Report, June 11th, 2022. Conclusion, pull the vaccines off the market, not safe for human use. Record mortality being reported in every safety system far beyond any acceptable level. The Pfizer dossier 
released under court order where they, 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 their obligatory 90-day observation period from releasing their vaccine, they recorded 1,223 deaths with the Pfizer vaccine on the same day people take the shots or, or a few days afterwards. Uh, we now are record. United States, our CDC is acknowledging 17,000 deaths with the vaccine very shortly after taking it. This is record mortality, grossly underreported. These are huge numbers. Uh, uh, in the United States per year, all the vaccines combined, typically no more than 150 deaths. It can happen, allergic deaths, but not 17,000. Hmm. I mean, these are stunning, uh, stunning statistics. Uh, and I think everybody should should really understand that the next shot could be fatal. And I've heard that uh, vaccines in the past that have had even a small number of deaths associated with them, you know, in the low hundreds or even below that, that pulled, right? They've been pulled. Absolutely pulled off the market. Sure. Rotavirus was pulled off the market. 15 cases of intussusception wasn't even fatal. The uh, swine flu was pulled after about 25 deaths. It rose to 53 deaths, uh, 550 cases of Guillain-Barre. We recently had the FDA pulled some eye drops off the market because of one freak death. One. So here we have uh, information uh, published, and it's in the peer-reviewed literature, not just the, the safety systems, uh, a paper by Villa Zapata and colleagues, Mercer University in University of Utah, in children, in the first year of the vaccine campaign, in children, reported 56 deaths due to the vaccine, ages 5 to 17. And the, the accepted under-reporting factor from VAERS uh, that the FDA has not challenged, it's in their meeting minutes, is 30. So 30 times 56. We're talking about 1,600 children have died with the vaccine, same day they take it or a few days afterwards. 17,000 people overall, the CDC is verifying. Multiply that times 30, it comes up to over 500,000 Americans have died. And you take New Zealand, you'll find proportional statistics. All over the world, we're seeing this. Yet it's not pulled. It's almost as if the issue at hand is the public themselves has to wake up and realize this is fatal and they have to turn it down. The government is not going to be a caretaker over the people at this point in time. The vaccines are going to be out there. They're going to be pushed relentlessly. And the challenge is for people to understand that they are potentially fatal. Cardiology is your wheelhouse, so to speak. And it seems that cardio um, adverse reactions have, have, have they been disproportionate in the range of, of reactions? And I, I think that's the same here. Can you take us through as you know briefly as you can, but with some detail, what, why this is? The, the range of, of cardiac syndromes includes progression of atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, heart attacks, strokes, bypass surgery, stenting, uh, myocarditis or heart inflammation, and then cardiac arrhythmias, actually abnormal heart rhythms, even without heart damage. This has been proven in studies, uh, one from University of Iowa, for instance, um, well-documented. The reason being is we now understand when someone takes a shot, the messenger RNA is circulating in the body for over a month. And the spike protein is circulatory in the body for over a month. The two authors there are Castriuta for the RNA 
and um, ogata for the spike protein. So as people exercise and as the heart draws myocardial blood flow, it gets progressively loaded with vaccine. And now in a paper by Yonker and colleagues from Harvard published in circulation, they found that those suffering with myocarditis, they had free circulating spike protein and it wasn't being appropriately uh, neutralized with the antibodies. Whereas people who are not having heart damage they had spike protein, but it was being neutralized by the antibody. So now this explains why some people develop heart damage and those who don't. It has to do with the library of antibodies that respond to the spike protein. Not everybody is the same. Two studies, one by Lepesic, the other by Mansugian, show the rate of heart damage in a prospective cohort design, 2.5%. That's actually a big number. That's a lot of people in New Zealand having heart damage. We've all seen the video montages of the, the the sports players. Does that go to your um, comment just before with, you know, the heightened physical activity, blood flow, et cetera? Is that why we're seeing them drop? It's true. But remember, before COVID, the cardiology guidelines say we cannot let athletes with myocarditis exercise. We can't do it. So even before COVID, if they had myocarditis from parvovirus or another source, they are immediately taken out of sports. No athlete can exercise with myocarditis. So what we have is the athletes were forced to take it, and many of them are not feeling the myocarditis or not reporting it. They go out on the field, and then a smaller subfraction die. You're right. It's increased in frequency. Polycretus and myself have published in the European literature. Before COVID, a stable period, age under 35, pro or semi-pro, mainly soccer and rugby, 29 cardiac arrests per year across all these leagues. That number now since the vaccines is 283, a tenfold rise in athlete sudden deaths. Yeah, that's a number that that is not coincidental, is it? I mean, it's so out there that uh, it's got big flashing arrows uh, pointing at it. What about, okay, so that's cardiac and kind of the short-term damage. People are talking about, you know, or wondering what happens in the longer term to uh, other uh, conditions, autoimmune conditions, cancer. I've had cancer before, and uh, I, I was wondering if I'd taken the shot, would that have potentially returned? It was a head and neck, HPV virus cancer. Uh, have you got any thoughts of of what we we could see, you know, in the years ahead? At this point in time, you know, I'm following my patients clinically. I think most of the damage occurs in the first 30 days. Progressively, right. the risks go down over time. I've seen some late blood clots about 18 months afterwards, but it's always because the patients have gotten COVID on top of taking the vaccines. Since the vaccines don't work, they get COVID anyway, and then they develop a blood clot or neurologic damage uh, or some other problem. So I think it's going to be time limited. Uh, I, I think there's insufficient evidence that the vaccines cause cancer. So I want people to know that the, you know we're not ready to make that call yeah. yet. There is a paper uh, that's a modeling paper from University of Pittsburgh, Singh and colleagues, first author. They showed that the S2 segment of the spike protein, which people do get with the vaccines, it does interact with the uh, tumor surveillance uh, systems, P53 and BRCA, BRCA. And so by that mechanism, the vaccines theoretically, by installing the spike protein, could suppress these systems and promote solid organ cancers like kidney cancer, melanoma, and also promote uh, female breast and, and reproductive cancers. That's just theoretical. The other uh, mechanism could be that fragments of the RNA, if it's ever broken down, 
fragments potentially could interact with uh, gene suppressing genes or, or cancer producing genes, oncogenic genes, and drive cancer. None of that's proven. The only clinical report of increased cancer has been disclosed by Dr. Teresa Long in the uh, when she testified in the Senate. Uh, the U.S. military is clearly seeing an increase in the rates of cancer. And the big debate is, is it just now recognition, come people coming out of lockdown and decreased access to healthcare, or is it driven by the vaccines? Those are the two uh, possibilities on the table. Cancer is up. We just need to figure out what's the cause. I, I just picked up, you used the word installed before, uh, talking about uh, the vaccine contents, I suppose. It sounds like software. I mean, I install software on my computer. I watch the little line go across, it gets loaded. Is that kind of what you're describing? It's true. For the first time, you know, two-thirds of the world's population was injected with genetic code. And now we understand the genetic code is installed and it codes for the production of the Wuhan spike protein. This is the lethal part of the virus is produced for an uncontrolled duration of time. Uh, Rovkin and colleagues from Stanford found that, that the genetic code is stuck in lymph nodes for at least two months, could be way longer. Uh, Bruce Patterson has shown that the spike protein is in the body with the respiratory infection. Forget the vaccines, the respiratory infection in severe cases, 15 months uh, in vaccine patients, the full-length spike protein, at least 245 days. That's as long as they've looked. We've never seen a study where, where the human body gets rid of these vaccines. I mean, this is very worrisome. They were designed, remember, messenger RNA is easily broken down by ribonucleases. The difference here is the messenger RNA had one of the pyramidines, one of the key ingredients, uracil, replaced by pseudouridine at every instance throughout the uh, code, about 3,400 base pairs, that made the RNA essentially indestructible. This, uh, once it's injected, the there's, there's really no signs that the human body can get rid of it. You mentioned the military. Uh, I'm just curious, uh, what sort of national security threat has that mandating of military personnel uh, produced? Because I'm thinking of fighter pilots and their F-16s and you know, uh, boots on the ground doing hard yards across you know, fields crawling under things and all of that. Is that a potential national security issue for the United States? I think it could have been in the first 30 days, for sure. The soldiers are sick. We know from the CDC vSafe data that people who take the shot, 7.7% get so sick they have to go to the hospital or urgent care. I mean, you can't have soldiers, 7.7% 7 .7 of soldiers being so sick they have to go to the sick bay when they're trying to fight a war. So I think acutely it was a threat. Uh, we worry about heart damage, neurologic damage, trying to fly elite uh, jets and operate tanks or other uh, equipment. So the, the rates of uh, crashes uh, certainly could be a concern. But I, I think the single greatest uh, reason why the vaccines weakened our military is, number one, uh, most of the military had already had COVID. They didn't need a vaccine and they didn't want it. And yet they were forced to take it. And anytime you take a soldier and you force them to do something against their will, you break their will, and now they're mentally weaker than they oh, were Oh, that's before. interesting. Okay. Yeah. And then the second reason is some of the really strongest soldiers, they weren't going to take it. They walked out of the military. So we lost some of our best and strongest, and we made the ones that remained weaker. Now, it was my testimony and many others that put pressure on the House and the Senate and the White House to actually pull the mandates. The soldiers are no longer mandating to take it. It's elective, and none of them are taking it. None. Yeah. Yeah. So we hope that they can recover. Mass vaccination has been a debacle for military.
Okay, so the damage is done, let's say. Uh, is there anything out there? And I think your wellness company has uh, been into this. Is there, and there'll be pe people listening now wondering, how can I get rid of this thing out of my body? How can I mitigate any adverse reactions? Is there a path out of of what I've, well, done to myself or had done to me, whatever, however you want to describe it? Fortunately, there appears to be uh, an innovation discovered by the Japanese called natokinase, N-A-T-T-O-K-I-N-A-S-E. It is the, it is the a product of fermentation when soy is broken down by a bacteria called um, Bacillus natto, that it generates this uh, natural enzyme. And now in, in a key preclinical study by Tanakawa and colleagues, it completely dissolves the spike protein. It's amazingly effective. Wow. Uh, is that and, a, like a miracle breakthrough? Yeah. I mean, and, and, and it actually, uh, in other two other supportive studies, it was actually antagonized in the spike protein in infectious models. So the Japanese were thinking about using this to actually treat COVID, but it turns out it's ideally positioned to be a, a, a therapy, a detoxification therapy for patients with spike protein after the vaccine and or COVID. Now, there are no human studies yet, although the Japanese have been using it for a couple decades now in for atherosclerotic carotid disease and elsewhere. So no, it's safe. There are some caveats. It does cause bleeding. It's for a form of a blood thinner. And, um, and there can be soy allergies with it. So we know these caveats. But far and away, this is the most hopeful approach. If we had big pharma pick this up, it could take five to 20 years to fully develop in randomized trials. A lot of people think we don't have time. Mm. So we are using it clinically. We're watching our patients carefully. Best in class product is offered by the wellness company, twc.health. It's called Spike Support. Spike Support comes in a white and yellow bottle. It's far and a worldwide, the best seller. It's, uh, it's all US sourced, very high quality, has selenium, other kind of key, um, you know, key nutraceuticals in there black sativa seed and some others. Uh, but we, we are having great success with this. And I, I think this is the breakthrough. The Japanese have another product, which is a serine uh, a, a protease called ASPNJ. And it comes from a Japanese river worm. Uh, this will be a little further down the line. It may be an intravenous form of therapy. But right now, people are using uh, the spike protein support formula, natokinase 2000 fibrinolytic units, 2,000 FUs twice a day. Uh, I think a key innovation, it's been my clinical observation, it takes about two months and then people's symptoms start to improve, including the, the neurologic symptoms and others. Well, depending on what you believe, the, the original virus comes from a bat, the cure comes from a river worm. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it turns out now under US uh, House and Senate investigations, it's now completely capitulated. Yeah. It's a US product made in the Wuhan lab that Ralph Barrick from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, he drew up the design, he did the research, it was funded by the US Eco Health Alliance, shuttles over the plans and they make the virus in the Wuhan lab, a chimeric. It's all published in 2015, it's out in the open. There was, there's been a campaign to cover it up. There's been 12 academic papers trying to say it came out of the fish market. Our government orchestrated this uh, false narrative and then finally, they capitulated. The National Security Administration, Department of Energy, FBI, former CDC director, they all came out and said, you know what? It came out of the lab. Meaning our governments were intentionally misleading us for years and trying to make us think it came out of, uh, you know, came out of the wild or a Chinese wet market.
Question is, was it a leak, a, an accidental leak, failure of um, systems or willful distribu uh, di distribution around the planet? Do, what are people saying about that? Or is it too early for that? It, to me, it looks like a leak. It looks like an accidental leak. The, yep. the, the, the response was too uncoordinated, too, you know, too, um, uh, it just was, was too messy. Uh, it, did, it doesn't look planned. I, I think it was a leak and then a government cover-up. Hmm. All right. Um, I'd like to get a bit of personal stuff from you because I know you've been out there fighting the fight. You've taken incomings, arrows, every kind of, I don't know, uh, attack. Wikipedia, that's just the start. You, you've had it all. And you've, like many doctors and, and medical professionals, you know, your medical um, professional reputation, I'm sure, is important. Many have decided to preserve that by going a particular way. You haven't. You've been right out there. What's what's that been like for you? And from the very beginning, I, I honestly felt that as this rolled in, we had a death very early on in my wife's side of the family. It really influenced us greatly. I said, I have to do everything to help each and every person. I had to save as many people as I could in my practice, family, friends, church, Bible study. And then ultimately became a, I became a world figure. I tried to help as many people in the world as I could. I took an oath uh, to, above all, do no harm. And number two, help as, as many people as I could. And that's exactly what I've done. I've used as much clinical skill, scholarship, compassion as I possibly can. But it means being truthful. And we yeah. have to be truthful. Uh, no doctor can feel good about going along with these vaccines and seeing people you know, develop heart damage, blood clots, stroke, being hospitalized. I mean, this is all happening. Our US government and the New Zealand government says it happens. And for doctors to go along with this, uh, they must feel really bad at night when they go to bed. Yeah, you wonder how they can sleep straight, some of them. What does this say in your mind about, and I like to call it now, and I've heard this description, the medical industrial complex, sort of like the military industrial complex. It's, I guess it's hierarchy, definite, it seems, conflicts of interest. You, you hear the revolving door mentioned all the time. And I guess ultimately the loss of trust, billions losing trust in one of the most trusted uh, institutions and professions, you know, on the planet. <laughs> where where are we at with all of that? Um, is there a reinvention that needs to take place? How long does it take to to patch it all up and and get it back to where it was, or maybe never? I don't know. In my book, Courage to Face COVID nineteen, we define the biopharmaceutical complex. The biopharma, this is what we say it is. All right. The biopharmaceutical complex at the top, we think is a World Economic Forum. And they're right there with the World Health Organization, Gates Foundation, the organization that Gates and WF founded in 2017, CEPI, Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness, Welcome Trust, Rockefeller Foundation, Unitaid, Gavi, all the regulatory agencies, uh, the pharmaceutical companies and the in vitro diagnostics, they're the suppliers. And this syndicate now is very powerful and it has aspirations. Remember at the top, World Economic Forum, they meet every year in Davos. They've been meeting for a long time to plan this out. Uh, Klaus Schwab in his book, COVID-19 and the, the Great Reset, he says that COVID-19 will be an opportunity to establish a new world order. That's, that's the aspiration of the complex. They want a new world order. They're working very hard at it. 
you know, we should take them at face value. Bill Gates has said that we, should, you know, he has aspirational statements to mass vaccinate the world for many different diseases. I mean, these are aspirational statements, and uh, we should understand that. You know, the rules are when they can declare a national emergency. Now, the WHO wants unilateral power to do this now mm. for the world. The doors of treasuries open and money flows to recipients in the complex. We we, you know, we spent 10% of the GDP, the U.S., 10% of the U.S. Treasury literally just flowed out to entities in the complex. And they all financially benefit. And you're right, corruption and conflict of interest is ripe. Let me give you an example. Former FDA commissioner Scott Gottlieb is on the board of Pfizer. Pfizer's in the complex. Gottlieb is advising Americans to take Pfizer shots on TV stations. We also found out that he was influencing Twitter and content modulation to suppress information on natural immunity. So he's corrupt. It's in the wide open. Look at after him, Stephen Hahn, FDA commissioner. He goes to the venture capital firm for Moderna. So these guys are working for the next job. How about Jeremy Farrar? He worked with Francis Collins and, and Anthony Fauci to create the misdirection on the origins of COVID, saying that SARS-CoV-2 came out of the Chinese market. There was Jeremy Farrar who coordinated those papers. He's at the Wellcome Trust. Now he's a senior scientist at WHO. So you can see that people are moving within the complex. They're becoming incredibly rewarded for participation in this attempt to establish a new world order. Welcome Trust, Eco Health Alliance. They're such benign sounding names, aren't they? Huh? They are, and, and, and the complex is well-defined. Several books define them, but probably the, the most comprehensive is Peter Bregan, uh, COVID-19 and the Global Predators, but they're defined in my book, Courage to Face COVID-19. Uh, a deep dive on Anthony Fauci is done by Robert F. Kennedy in his book, The Real Anthony Fauci. By the way, Robert F. Kennedy just announced he's running for U.S. president. Uh, we have a book about the all-cause mortality, a very comprehensive monograph by Edward Dowd, former BlackRock executive. Uh, you know, these books have come forward and they can't be corrupted because they're in print. You can hang on to them and it's they're not going to change like Wikipedia or Google. So we encourage everybody to get the books. Uh, there's there's only about half a dozen of them because we need to understand what's going on. Um, just to finish up, you're not, uh, I suppose, a legal mind. You're a, you're, you're a medical mind. But at some point, there has to be, you can't do all this and not be accountable, right? So have you thought, Everything you've seen, experienced, data sets, incoming um, attacks, all of that, and, and knowing what you know, what sort of accountability needs to occur at some point, do you think? Bearing in mind, you never want this to happen again, right? You never do. But you know, I think the real challenge is for the public to stand up. I don't think there's going to be a single court or a prime minister or senator or president who's going to save people. It's not going to happen. I think people have to save themselves. If everybody in the world right now said, no, no more jabs, no more masks, return to normal, and this thing would be over with. So this is really about the will of the people. We hope there's going to be special prosecutors and justice and international court, but I don't really have any high hopes for that. You know, the, the courts are corrupt at this point in time. Most of them are part of this false narrative. Meantime, carnage everywhere, death. Um, families, you know, change forever. And, and, you know, so sad, right? You know that more than anyone. It, it's yeah. heartbreaking to see. And, 
Now, a recent Rasmussen poll done over the holidays showed that one in four Americans know somebody who's died of the vaccine. I mean, this is worse than a war. We've lost over 500,000 people shortly after taking the jab. We lost 59,000 in Vietnam War. This is ten times, nearly 10 times as bad as Vietnam, and it's still going on. And I know one person I'm certain of, a close friend of mine who, who who's there as well. So it, it arrives on the on the doorstep, you know, and and more and more people are finding that. Dr. Peter McCullough, thank you so much for making a bit of time for us on Reality Check Radio. It's uh, fascinating listening to you, uh, the information that you have, and wow, it just comes out. I don't know where you store it all, <laughs> but uh, that, that's amazing. I'm sure that's been uh, of great interest to our listeners. All the best uh, with what you're doing and, and the fight that you carry on with, and maybe we'll catch up again some other time. Well, thanks for having me. Make sure you follow me on my website, PeterMcCulloughMD.com. My my uh, book, Courage to Face COVID uh, podcast, America Out Loud Talk Radio, McCullough Report, and Substack, Courageous Discourse. I'm there doing the best I can for the world. Let's work together and let's close the crisis and move on. We'll leave it right there, Dr. McCullough. Thank you for that. Nice to talk to you. Okay. Bye-bye. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.